deeply into his heart. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I really do appreciate all of the birthday wishes and hugs, and I do appreciate the congregation, congregation singing happy birthday out, as, out of tune as it may have been. <clears throat> you know, you are, you are an amazing musician, and I don't know if you played one right note. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> but that's what made it special. No one will ever hear happy birthday like that ever again. <laughs> my goodness my goodness um it's good to be here today as we start the holiday season a reminder next week please make it as much of a priority as you can to be here together to celebrate the lord's table together at grace life we like to make this an event we don't want anybody to walk in the building oh cool lord's table we feel like it's a much more somber <clears throat> important opportunity to fellowship and worship God together. So we're going to do that next week or also the beginning of Advent next week. And so <clears throat> those are things coming up. You'll hear soon about the uh, uh, Christmas Eve service that we have coming up soon as well on Friday evening of that week. So, so let's go on to the sermon for this week. I've entitled this week's message, Preparing for Trouble. <clears throat> so preparing for future trouble is a very important priority for many people. As a matter of fact, doomsday prepping is a multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, they've got these, these guys, they have these full kits. You know, they've got portable toilet. How awesome is that? You see that? And the food, the meals ready to eat, the water, tablets you can turn. You could turn like sewage into drinkable water with these tablets. Now, I'm not going to try it, but that's what they say, right? Be good to know if you had to. You know, and you've got, look at this family. That's incredible. They got full doomsday kits for sale to prepare for any future trouble. They sell particularly doomsday kind of prepper, end of time structures and supplies. And I just want to tell you secretly, I want them all. Not because I'm afraid of the end times or anything like that. It's just really cool stuff, man, the way they package it. And it's like they've got these pocket knives that have 37 different functions on one side <laughs> and 20 on the other. It's amazing, right? And so, but with that in mind, like when you are warned that there's something you need to prepare for, some sort of potential trouble or disaster, are you like a sense of urgency person, or are you like a procrastinator? So like in Florida, we get pregnant. When hurricanes approach, do you just like go to Walgreens and buy four bottles of water? Is that, is that how well you prepare? Or do you buy a generator and food for a year? Which do you do? Like you go and wipe out can. You never eat. You don't even eat green beans, but you'll leave 30 cans of green beans for a hurricane and put them in your... What about like apocalyptic predictions? They're all over the place, right? There's theories. Are you a person who takes apocalyptic theories seriously? I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you do, but what about biblical warnings? Like, you know, the end of all things in today's passage, the end of time. Should we take these things seriously or just leave them for tomorrow? <clears throat> you know, I have some really good friends who are excellent preppers. And I'm going to make sure they stay friends. I don't want to prep. 
but I know they love me, so. See, when it comes to preparation for trouble, it is very important. You could, you could prepare and not be prepared, right? Because you have to know the priorities. You have to make sure the right things are your right focus when it comes to preparing for trouble. How are you doing when it comes to being prepared for times of spiritual crisis? Or maybe even end-of-life crisis. <clears throat> what is the most important thing as Christians that we should be doing right now, today, to prepare ourselves spiritually for trouble? Let's look at the passage we have today in 1 Peter chapter 4, 6-11. <clears throat> for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, in other words, whoever teaches, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God, Strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at the historical part of this passage. What about man? What happened? What did he do? I want to talk about the fact that Peter is warning them that there is danger coming. So these were, in fact, I don't know if you realize this, they were first century preppers in many respects. Over the last 15 weeks or so, I've been reminding you every week about the intense suffering and persecution these first century Christians were enduring. Suffering and persecution so bad, it sort of embarrasses us, embarrasses us as the American church as to what we allow get into our way of worshiping God. I mean, Christians, especially in America, gripe about how hard life is. What they had was far worse. Nero is targeting them on a personal level for their faith. We've outlined some of the brutal things he was doing to Christians. You would think that with the death of Nero in 68 AD, a little bit after the time Paul was killed and Peter, the persecution of Christians would begin to soften, right? But after Nero died, things would get a lot worse for the first century church on a whole new level. This new level of persecution would become, instead of being personal, it became more institutional. It would take on a whole new focus, and it was much more dangerous to be a Christian in the new regimes than it was under Nero. <clears throat> Peter was warning them, things are about to get worse. There is a looming crisis coming, and you all need to be ready. There was this siege on Jerusalem in 70 AD after Nero killed himself. The emperorship is unstable. There are several emperors that would only last a couple of months. And zealots in Jerusalem, remember we defined who the zealots were, they saw an opening to get Rome out of Jerusalem and out of Israel. And in pursuit of making their dream a reality, that dream of making Israel great again, they attacked Roman soldiers, overthrew Roman outposts, and the consequence of their rebellion was a bloody siege on Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by General Titus, who later would become emperor himself about nine years later. So in 70 AD, Titus enters Israel with his army, and Jews begin to flee 
to the zealot stronghold of Jerusalem for safety, and Titus laid siege on Jerusalem for months, starving them inside the walls. Then he finished off the job in brutal, bloody combat. The temple was destroyed. The priesthood wiped out. Traditional Jewish worship institutions have been completely destabilized. And now we see a problem here that their unity within the church is at risk. The fall of Jerusalem <clears throat> had caused a whole new set of challenges for the first century church between Jewish and Gentile believers. Because of 30 years of apostolic warnings that this event was coming, and we'll remind you of that later, many Jewish Christians fled to regions like this one, the one where Peter is writing to. Now you have gatherings of believers that is more diverse than ever before. <clears throat> with both Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. It sounds good, right? But here's the problem. Nostalgia and grief and desire for these Jewish believers who have lost their worship culture drove them to incorporate, force the incorporation of Jewish traditions into the church. But Gentile believers don't want to be associated with Jerusalemite-type Judaism. They fear Roman retribution. Rome would see all these groups even remotely connected to Judaism in Jerusalem as rebellious and a terrorist threat and a threat to the stability of the Roman Empire. Why would we want to appear sympathetic to the way you guys used to worship Jehovah in Jerusalem? <clears throat> we don't have to do that anymore. The apostles have said so. Why would we want to do that? It's going to make us a target for this Titus guy. So that's the history of what's going on. Look at the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing and why and how is he doing? Peter talked about these things. He calls it the end of all things. Do you guys remember in the Gospel of Mark when we did our study? It was uh, 11 years long. <laughs> Felt like it. There were these warnings from Jesus. Look at verse 6 of today's passage. Look at this. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The imminent return of Jesus, of course, is a well-established teaching throughout the New Testament. And I believe in that. But that is not what Peter is referring to when he says the end of all things. He's actually referring to Jesus' prophecies in Mark 13. We studied that in our Mark series, and if you want to go back and watch, I'll actually drop these links in the, in the YouTube uh, uh, episode later this week, but it was in Mark sermons number 61, 62, 63. And in that, we detailed these incredible, unbelievable, stunning predictions. If you want a refresher, go back and listen and watch so you can get the full benefit of today's incredible theology. These stunning prophecies are, in fact, some of the most problematic ancient texts for anyone who might claim that Jesus doesn't exist or that God doesn't exist. They are undeniable prophecies that were fulfilled 40 years later in incredible detail. Archaeology proves Jesus said it 35 to 40 years earlier. And they came true. Jesus warned of the pending judgment on Jerusalem and the temple for their failure to do what? Keep the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second commandment is just like the first. Love your neighbor just as you love yourself. And that's what Jesus was prophesying. And that is the warning that Peter is saying. This generation, 
Jesus said, all these things that I predicted in Mark 13, all these things will come to pass before this generation is gone. Did you know, this is fascinating, did you know that first century apostolic preaching wasn't just about the cross, about Jesus died for your sins and resurrected? Also, every time they would preach the cross, they would say, now listen, once you follow Jesus, be aware he made this prophecy that in 35 years before this generation passes, Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Don't run to Jerusalem. Run for the hills. Every time they preached, they would preach this along with the gospel. And for 30 years, the apostles warned Christians not to flee to Jerusalem when everyone else did. He said this generation will not pass away. And all this time, the first century church has been growing and serving and loving and waiting and preparing for the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. In fact, daily life for believers living in and around Jerusalem had very much an element of readiness and preparation to flee at a moment's notice. It's been 35 years. Peter's seen a lot of things, and he knows his generation is ending. He knows the day is coming. And when that day comes, the church, he says, listen, when that day comes and all these people flee, all the Christians flee Jerusalem, flee the stronghold and run for the hills, the church is going to face a whole new set of problems and things are going to get even harder than they are under Nero. And what is the warning? He says, above all else, Peter wants them to be prepared beforehand for the potential divisions and the conflict and the persecution that might ensue because of Rome. Peter says, above all else, be ready. Be disciplined, sober-minded, self-controlled. And what exactly did he mean by all that? What does it look like? He's not advocating for them to be doomsday preppers. He's not advocating for them to get an army together to fight the power. Remember, he's already talked about the fact that we must be in submission to our government. Remember that? So it's not that. Peter's preparation priority above all else is this, to be ready in this way, to be disciplined, to protect your love and peace and unity within yourselves above all else. Love one another in every way possible, in prayer. Love one another emotionally. Love one another financially. Love one another spiritually. Love one another by spending time together. More on that part later. He says, whatever gifts and talents you have, if you're a teacher, continue to teach. If you're a server, keep keep continuing to serve. Use those talents to continually love and build up the body of Christ in this incredibly important unity. If you are one who serves, do it. If you're a teacher, teach. And you know what? They did. It wasn't easy. You know the best example of the relentless efforts to preserve and unity displayed for us is how they preserve the New Testament. Think about this. You and I enjoy the fruit of that united effort, even with the controversial letters like 1 Peter that says, there's a, and, and Paul, there is no Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor Gentile, nor Jewish, all those things. These are complicated things that the church didn't like. And they preserved all these writings. And you know what? This is what's amazing. All these Christian writings, these first century writings, they are better preserved 
than Rome preserved their own records. Did you know that there are more ancient manuscripts preserved by the first century church working and loving together in unity? More, those are, more of those are saved and preserved than all the Roman emperor's records combined. It's like 25 to 1. This is a decentralized movement led by the Spirit of God of people from different backgrounds who decide, you know what? Above all else, we're going to keep unity, peace, and love and serving together, and we're going to preserve not only the church but the records of the apostles who have been preaching and teaching this the whole time. It's like 25 to 1. There are 750 documents related to Nero. There's 750,000 related to Jesus. Think about that. Look at the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this passage? I've entitled the personal section, Love and Serve Relentlessly. This was the sermon preview this week. The church is most prepared for hardship when we're loving one another relentlessly. You know, look, I could make this sermon really easy on you. But by now, you're not really part of grace life for easy messages. <laughs> You come here because you expect to be challenged. So that's what I'm going to do today in love. And I'm challenging myself too. You know, we too wait an imminent fulfillment of a prophecy of Jesus. We don't know when. We have a lot less chronological surety than Peter did, and that is the return of Jesus. You know what else we're also waiting for? Because we live in the world, we also know that there's going to be many other types of trouble and suffering that await not just ourselves, but those within our church family. Christians are, in fact, supposed to be preppers, but not the kind of prepping I talked about early on in my introduction. Our preparation for anything to come has, above all else, one priority, to love one another relentlessly. The church must be prepared for both things, and today's passage tells us exactly what and how we are supposed to prepare. First of all, this love one another thing. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. I alluded to it earlier. They said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? These were the Jerusalemite Jews trying to trip him up. And his response was, I'll tell you. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I think Jesus is trying to say this is pretty important. Jesus said, loving him was the most important command. And then loving each other is number two. So this is simple, right? So why do we keep losing sight of it in America? Why do we love so many other things so much more than this and each other? What's wrong with the American church? The American church is so good at talking about loving one another in word without really making it an actual action priority. Let me tell you something. Individuals within the church will not be prepared for any kind of suffering when we aren't loving them and one another relentlessly beforehand. 
When we fail to make loving one another relentlessly our greatest core value, we are actually putting others at risk. Above all else, that's what Paul or Peter says, we must do everything we can to maintain intimacy, connection, and unity with one another. People who relentlessly love one another are going to be prepared for the return of Jesus or any other earthly trouble that is coming our way. Some of you have been through unbelievable trouble in the last five years in the life of Grace Life. Some of you are going through it right now. Really heartbreaking, hard stuff. You know what I love about our church? Is that those groups of people within our body, within our fellowship, can testify that the impact of being loved has been tremendous on them. To the point of uncontrollable tears of joy. I've seen it. I've seen what you as a church have done for people who run into serious trouble. But see, you know why those people feel that love? It's because they were prepared for that suffering beforehand by becoming an integral part of this church family through loving and serving and being together. Everyone knew them. They knew everybody. There was this connection. And when a problem came up, what happened? The church says, boom, we got your back. Some of you have hard times coming, and you aren't ready. Because you don't make being a relentless part of this church family a high enough priority. The church will try to help, but when you know someone really well, that's when you know best how to love and help them. Right? It reminds me of our very first sermon series at Grace Life on the book of Philippians. And the subtitle of my first book, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. You want to learn how to love one another relentlessly? Go on Amazon and pay full retail price for this book at the Grace Life. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. I guess, I guess what you can really do is just read Philippians again. You can do that too. But this is so important. This is why we started with our series on Philippians, because loving one another relentlessly has to be our number one priority here. But we also have to learn to serve together. All right, I'm going to put a verse up that I've quoted a few times. I'm going to put it up on the screen and make you read it. Okay? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what day he was talking about? Same one Peter was. He says, pending trouble. You know, if this was the most important thing for the first century church, don't you think it should be for us as well? When we fail to make being together, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, when we fail to make being together a priority, that choice doesn't only impact you. It's not a choice that just says, you know what, I'm deciding I'll just deal with the... It's not, a, it's not like that. It impacts everyone. 
it makes it harder for yourself and all your brothers and sisters in Christ to be fully prepared to love each other above all else. Of course, loving one another above all else is, is kind of impossible if we barely know each other and are rarely around each other. So in January, for example, in the spirit of being obedient to this command to love one another above all else, Grace Life will start a new corporate effort of obedience to this command to love one another relentlessly with something we're going to call Grace Groups. Diverse gatherings within our church family to provide precious, crucial opportunities of preparation, starting with relentless love, unity, and service. Sadly, many Christians don't relentlessly love. You know what we do? We love conveniently. When it fits our mood, when it fits our schedule, when it fits our agenda, then we'll love. Look, for an example, and I want to be careful how I say this because we have our live stream. It is a powerful tool for ministry. And it's frankly a new expectation that everyone has of any 21st century church. It's not going away. It is a wonderful thing. And some of you have desperately needed it. So you know what we did when COVID hit? We've invested tons of time and probably about fifteen dollars to $20,000 creating a quality virtual worship space. Like today, some of you are right, right now at home watching live, and you aren't feeling well. <clears throat> some of you in our church just had a baby. Congratulations. Some of you are out of town a lot. Some of you have elderly parents you must care for and protect. There are many good reasons why the live stream is so important to our church family. But for those of you who just don't want to feel like putting pants on, you know, <laughs> that's not why we designed it. <laughs> Look, we must be believers who love one another relentlessly and that we will seek to be together so that we can be prepared for what the future brings. We need to be believers who constantly serve together with each other, displaying relentless hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must be believers who lovingly hold each other accountable. And as Hebrews says, inspire one another to serve one another, and not just one another, but also to serve our community. Well, Lisa Kay, as Megan was talking about, does a great job of inspiring us to good works. We need to be believers who know each other so well that we will have each other's back at any moment, whether it's a text, a 3 a.m. phone call, or that we know somebody so well we see a fallen countenance and we know, hey, my brother needs me. Believers, we need all of you to be present and connected Not just because you need us. We need you. Desperately. Because if we are going to be prepared for what's to come, and you have no idea what suffering awaits any individual, we are going to need each of us, above all else, 
to be prepared by making love, unity, and serving together the highest priority, as Peter says, above all else. Heavenly Father, we need to learn how important it is to prepare for hard times by loving one another relentlessly. We thank you for the example of the Philippian church and how they loved Paul, how Paul loved them. We thank you for the example of the first century church that even though all their cultural differences could have caused all these conflicts, they came together for the important task of keeping the movement of Jesus going along with all the writings and teachings of the apostles in ways that ancient world then couldn't even think about doing. What a miracle that was. We need to, as a church family, learn to love one another, to not forsake being together so that we know each other so well. We know in an instant when there's a man down or a woman hurting so we can rush in and fill that void of pain with love and support and encouragement. Jesus, help us to know what things in life have become more important than loving one another above all else and enable us to make the changes necessary so that we can be ready for trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. This is a great fellowship of believers. We've done a lot of incredible things for other people and for each other, and it's just beginning. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday for Lord's Table.